You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. So one of the most iconic quotes in popular Christmas culture comes from Charlie Brown in the cartoon, A Charlie Brown Christmas. And several of you probably know about this. You've probably seen this. Charlie Brown is disappointed and humiliated for picking a bad tree. And Linus walks up as everyone else is leaving. And Charlie Brown, speaking to Linus, starts to vent his frustration. And he's upset and he's grumbling and he, he, he kind of shouts. He puts his hands up and he, and he shouts and he says, Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? And Linus, who had been holding his blanket and sucking his thumb, and it had to be Linus here. He'd been holding his blanket, sucking his thumb. He, he says, sure, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. And then Linus walks to the center of the stage and he drops the lights and he recites Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 14. And then he calmly walks back over to Charlie Brown and he says, simply, iconically, that is what Christmas is all about. In scene. That's iconic because Linus is right. That is what Christmas is all about. And in particular, verse 11 of Luke chapter 2 For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And perhaps if we could ask Linus to explain a little bit more about what about that exactly is Christmas all about, I think maybe he would say, oh, it's the incarnation, of course. It's the fact that Jesus Christ is God become man. Jesus, who is God, has come here to be with us, to save us by becoming like us, to live, die, and reign for us. That is what the incarnation is all about. That is what Christmas is all about. And the whole thing is a miracle. It's just a miracle. The true meaning of Christmas is not a fact that we master, but it's one that masters us. We're not called to comprehend it all. We're called to acknowledge it. We're called to declare it, which we've done already this morning in the call to worship when we said together, the word became flesh. He has made his dwelling among us. That is what Christmas is all about going back to the very first Christmas in 4 BC. It's that Christ has come and Christ will come again. But what about Christ now? Like in this moment. What is Jesus doing right now? That's what we're going to look at today in Hebrews chapter 4. And there are three points that I want us to think about. But I'm going to wait to tell you each point as we get into it. Okay, Um, but we're going to stack the points. It's going to start like this. We're going to have a number one right here and then two and then 
three, all right? So one, two, three. I'm gonna try, hopefully, explain to you how they all fit together, but let's pray and we'll, we'll get started. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done here on this earth just as it is in heaven, which means that in this moment, Father, we are asking that you speak to us Accomplish your will here by showing us the glory of Jesus, your son. We pray in his name. Amen. So we know Jesus has come. We know Jesus will come again. And so now we're trying to answer the question of what is Jesus doing currently? What is Jesus doing now? Number one, Jesus is, this is right here. Jesus is our ascended high priest. There's some explaining to do here. So look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. I want us to see how the ascended part and the high priest part go together. We see right away, verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Paul's. Jesus is our great high priest. We see that right away. But then in more detail, we see that he is our great high priest who has passed through the heavens. That's a reference to Jesus' ascension, the ascension of Jesus, which is a vital part of Jesus' redemptive work. Most of the time, when we talk about the work of Jesus, we refer to his death and resurrection. The death and resurrection of Jesus is a short explanation or a, a metonym of the gospel event, and that's a good way to talk. That's the way the Apostle Paul talks in 1 Corinthians 15. He says there that Jesus died for us and was buried for us, and then Jesus was raised on the third day. That is good news. That is a good way to talk. But also another way that we could say it, if we wanted to expand a little more how we talk about the work of Jesus, we could refer to the redemptive work of Jesus as his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. Life, death, resurrection, and ascension. And by adding the word life in front of death, it points to his substitutionary death. It's that Jesus lived the life we could not live and he paid the debt that we incurred by our failure. We need Jesus' life and death. And we need his resurrection and ascension. And by adding the word ascension behind resurrection, it expands the meaning of resurrection to not just be that Jesus is alive. He is. But he's not just alive. He's also active. Jesus is alive and he is doing something currently in this exact moment based upon what he accomplished in the gospel. And the book of Hebrews is all about this. You could say that the book of Hebrews is basically an exposition of ascension theology. That's the way the letter begins in chapter 1 verse 3. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God the exact imprint of his nature. 
He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is is how the book of Hebrews starts with a reference to Jesus' ascension. That's what Jesus is doing now. He's been raised from the dead and ascended, passing through the heavens to be seated on his throne in the heavenly temple. That came after the resurrection. That is what is happening now. So last week, remember, we looked at the kingship of Jesus. We looked at the meaning of his kingship. We looked at how Jesus now holds the office of king. But now this week, I want to say more. Jesus is not just a king, but he's a king priest. Hebrews 1.3 already implies that because to be seated at the right hand of God is throne language. That's king language. He took his seat on the throne, though, after making purification for sins, which is priest language see Jesus is a king priest he's a king priest in the order of Melchizedek which Hebrews talks about in chapter 5 but really the entire book of Hebrews is about Jesus's kingly priesthood that is the office Jesus holds because of his ascension that's how his ascension and his priesthood go together after his resurrection Jesus ascended to be the king over all and the priest of his people. Jesus is the king priest. He is our king priest. And it's the priest part, though, that is of special focus in Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16. So I want us now to look closer at the priest part in Hebrews 4. Now, verses 14 to 16, which we've heard read, This is part of a larger argument that's going on here. I want to try to catch you up to speed. Um, One of these days, we're going to preach through the entire book of Hebrews, okay? And I hope you will be here for that. I'm looking forward to it whenever it, it happens. But for today, I'm just going to very quickly here back you up to chapter 2 try to catch us up to speed with what's happening chapter 2 verse 17 the writer of Hebrews has been talking about the saving work of Jesus he says that Jesus came here he came here to destroy the devil and to rescue us chapter 2 verse 17 therefore in order to rescue us Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. This is the first explicit mention of Jesus as our high priest. And then right after this, in chapter 3, verse 1, the writer of Hebrews exhorts us to consider Jesus. Consider Jesus, which means to study him. Focus on him. Pay careful attention to Jesus. In the way that the writer of Hebrews leads us to do this is by explaining more of his priesthood. He says, study Jesus. And then he shows us what it means that Jesus is our priest. And to be honest, this stuff 
is super deep, okay? Like, it, it is some of the deepest stuff in the New Testament when it comes to trying to wrap our heads and hearts around the glory of Jesus. The, uni- the uniqueness of Jesus shines so brightly in the book of Hebrews. And again, one day, we're going to study it together. We're actually, we have a Sunday school class coming up, six weeks on the book of Hebrews. Um, we'll get into some of it there. But for this morning, for now, suffice it to say that the writer of Hebrews The way that he helps us consider Jesus, the way that he helps us consider the priestly work of Jesus is in the category of Old Testament priest, okay? And here's a summary of of what he's saying, okay? Hang in there, all right? Track with me here. In summary, this is what we see. We see that the atonement of Jesus was not just the moment of his sacrifice when he died, but it's when he, as our high priest, presented his sacrifice to God. Because that's what priests do. That's how atonement is complete. Jesus, our high priest, made sacrifice for us by the sacrifice of himself, And his ascension is his entrance into the heavenly holy of holies where he has presented his sacrifice and where he now lives before God bearing our names. Jesus is our ascended high priest who forever lives as the constant memorial before God of our atonement. Jesus is currently in this exact moment in this exact moment Jesus is the ever present proof that we are loved by God and that by his blood we are forgiven and cleansed and welcome into fellowship with God now and forever this is deep And we sing this. We sing this. One of our favorite hymns. Before the throne of God above. I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love. Whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. Jesus is, Jesus is right now our ascended high priest. That's what Jesus is doing in this exact moment, okay? That's number one. He's our ascended high priest. But now secondly... Jesus is the ascended man. When it comes to the priesthood of Jesus, notice what the writer of Hebrews emphasizes in chapter 4, verse 15. Chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, 
but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The writer said the same thing back in chapter 2, verse 14. He says that because we are people of flesh and blood, us, we, we're people of flesh and blood, because of that, Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things. In chapter 2, verse 17, he says that Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Because Jesus has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Central, then, central to the priesthood of Jesus is the humanity of Jesus. It's his incarnation. It's the true meaning of Christmas. It's the fact that Jesus took on human flesh. He took on our flesh and blood and skin and hair and eyes and teeth. Jesus, the Son of God, is our high priest, our great high priest, because he became human like us. This is so important. It's so important that this sinks in for us like we talked about a few weeks ago. Jesus would have been like any one of us in this room. He was a real person. He is a real person. Because after Jesus died and was buried... Three days later, he was raised. And we know that when he was raised, he was raised in a body, a body. The gospels are clear about this. The apostle Paul is clear about this. People saw Jesus after his resurrection. He ate breakfast with the disciples. Thomas put his hands on the scars in Jesus' side. Jesus was raised from the dead with a new resurrected body and Jesus in that body ascended to the heavenly dimension. And I'm I'm saying dimension here because I want to dispel the wrong idea that, that thinks that heaven means just way up in the sky, okay? Because a lot of times we can think about heaven that way. Heaven, the place where God is, we can think is just like high up above the clouds where things are just like floating around, okay? We can tend to think that way. I don't think that's right though, okay? Now the Bible does talk about the sky as the heavens, Heavens, the heavens declare the glory of God. The Bible talks that way. But heaven, as in the place where God dwells, is better understood as the heavenly realm. We should think about it as a different dimension than the one we live in here. It's one that we can't visualize with our natural abilities. It's one that's not empirically available to us right now, but it's there. It's there. And that's where Jesus is. Jesus is in the heavenly dimension. He's in the heavenly realm. He's in the presence of God in a resurrected body. The same body that was seen by over 500 people. And that tasted breakfast. And that was touched by Thomas. 
that body, that body, Jesus is in that body right now. Which means, this means that the incarnation of the Son of God was not just a one-time thing. It was not a historical convenience or a temporary necessity, but the incarnation was and is a uniting of God and man in the person of Jesus Christ who is fully God, fully man forever. The incarnation is the continuing incarnation that Jesus now lives out in the heavenly realm. Jesus is still a man. He's a man. Fully God, fully man right now. And this is where we have to stretch our imaginations a little. What are the implications of this? What does it mean that right now Jesus is still God incarnate? What does it mean that right now Jesus is still human in a body? In a body, like we're in a body. He's in a body right now. Well, we could think about what it means for him to breathe, right? We could, we could think that just like, just like we take breaths and our lungs expand and contract, Jesus' lungs must do the same because he also has lungs and he also takes breaths. Or we could think about we could think about skin and bones. And we could take our fingers and we could take the fingers on one hand and, and we could pinch the skin of the fingers on our other hand, and we could consider that in the same way that we do this, Jesus can do this because Jesus also has fingers and he also has skin that he can pinch. Look at your knuckles for a second. We can look at our knuckles. And we could imagine Jesus looking at his knuckles because he has knuckles to look at. As we think about the continuing incarnation of Jesus, we could think about all these things. We could marvel the scars on his side. We could marvel and think about all these things. But the writer of Hebrews, he takes us somewhere else. The writer of Hebrews takes us to the level of consciousness. He says that because of Jesus' humanity, he's able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus is able to sympathize with us, to have compassion on us, because he knows what it's like to be a man. Not a once upon a time man, but he still is a man. He's not tempted anymore like he was during his days on earth. But there is a continuity between the life Jesus lived on earth and the life he lives now. And that is certainly a continuity of experience. Here's what I mean. When Jesus was raised from the dead and ascended... 
it did not wipe clean his memory. He didn't just forget everything that he experienced as a man. I wonder if we think that sometimes. Like maybe his, his memory just got, just got wiped clean. That's not, that's not how it works. And again, we're, we're pushing our imaginations here, okay? So, so bear with me. Think with me here. What do you think was on Jesus' mind after he was resurrected and ascended into the heavenly realm? Do you get the question? After Jesus ascended in his resurrected body, what do you think was on his mind? Do you get the question? After Jesus ascended in his resurrected body, what do you think was on his mind? Now, of course, we... We can't know exactly what that was, but we, we can know what it was not. I'm, I'm especially interested in, in this topic, this whole question, because I, I've woken up before in a hospital bed and could not remember what happened to me. So some of you know about this car wreck 19 years ago in December. When Melissa and I were in high school, uh, we got into a, a bad car accident and I suffered a traumatic brain injury. Just was a single car accident, just, 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 just us two. And uh, I, I suffered a severe brain injury. And, and God, by his grace, he worked a miracle. He healed me. He, he changed my life. But what's odd about the whole thing to this day is that the only reason I know about the wreck is because it's what I've been told by other people. I myself, I don't remember anything about the wreck. I have this gap in my memory. There's this, this missing chunk of time I have in my memory. And it's, it's, it's honestly, it's just weird. It's, it's strange. I've been, I've been talking about this the last several weeks have been thinking more about it coming up on the anniversary you know just just has passed um and uh, reflecting on it talking about this with friends and I, it's still it's just it's just a strange thing to have this missing chunk of time this missing block this gap in your memory i, I remember my getting my first memories i, I remember my my new memories at that time I, I remember waking up in the hospital and there were all these people just coming in and out. And they were, they were in my face and they were asking me all kinds of questions. Like, do you, do you know what year it is? And, and do you know your parents' names? And, and do, do you know how old you are? They, they, they asked me so many questions. And the reason they asked me so many questions is because they were trying to figure out, is there any continuity here? Is the kid in this hospital bed the same kid he was yesterday? Does he know who he is does he remember anything about his life does he know what he has experienced and and look again we we don't know what was on Jesus's mind after he ascended but we do know that nobody was in his face asking him questions nobody was trying to figure out if if Jesus was still the same man, he is the same man, and he remembers everything. Everything that Jesus experienced on this earth, he still knows. He, he still knows it. 
The way the, the sunrise looks over the Sea of Galilee, the way cooked fish smell on charcoal, the, the noise of the crowd as they shouted for his crucifixion, he remembers it all. The way his stomach ached with hunger that time Satan tempted him in the wilderness, that the vitriol of the Pharisees when he healed a man on the Sabbath, the, the earnestness of Peter's voice when Peter swore allegiance to Jesus at all cost, and then also the sound of the rooster's crow. Jesus remembers. The desperation in Gethsemane, the injustice of his trial, the, the pain of the nails in his hands and our sins on his back, he remembers. The, the historical Jesus that we read about in the Gospels is the resurrected and ascended Jesus of this exact moment. And his ability to be our priest depends upon his ability to recall what he learned about being a man on this earth, which he recalls right now as that same man ascended. This means, Christian, that it is not trite. It is not trite to say that Jesus knows your need. We would be shocked if we knew what he knows. He became like you in every respect, Hebrews tells us. What's hard for you? He's been there. What keeps you up at night? He gets it. Hey, make a list of the top three things you wish you could change about your life and know that Jesus right now, from where he's sitting to where you're sitting, he is with you in the one, two, three as someone who understands it, as someone who has compassion on you, as a human like you, so that he can be a great high priest for you. Jesus, our ascended priest, is the ascended man and this changes everything it change it changes everything that's the third point here in the stack that's the third point the first is that Jesus is our ascended high priest the second is that Jesus is the ascended man and now three, the third and last thing is the question how then should we live this is the question of application what do we do about this fact about Jesus? What does it mean for us? Well, there are two things here I want to highlight. And the first is the exhortation that stands out in this passage in verses 14 and 16. I'm going to summarize it simply as this. Walk closer with Jesus. Walk closer with Jesus. Notice in verse 14 that because Jesus is our high priest, the imperative, let us hold fast our confession. Then in verse 16 again, it's the same idea. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. So to hold fast our confession means to embrace the gospel. The, the original audience of this letter was tempted to shy away from the truths of the gospel and its implications. And the writer is exhorting them not to shy away. Don't, don't shy away and turn back, but lean in and live out. That's what it means to draw near. And, and, and the idea of drawing near or approaching God is repeated at least eight times in this letter. And the first time is here in verse 16. And it basically means to live in fellowship with God. Live in fellowship with 
with God, the fellowship that we have because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, because of his past saving work through his life, death, and resurrection, and because of his continued office as our high priest, it means that God always welcomes us. We can always come to him, and that is always through Jesus. Our living in deeper fellowship with God means our walking closer with Jesus, and there is nothing I want more badly for myself and for you than that. I, I want to be as close to Jesus, this side of heaven, as is humanly possible for a forgiven sinner. And I want that same thing for you. That's what we're aiming for here, God willing, over these next 30 years or so. Let's, let's walk closer with Jesus together. Because if Jesus is a real person, and he is, we can know him more. We can, we can think about him more. We can ask for his help more, and I need it. We, we need his help. And, and when we do ask him for help, when we do come to him to know him, to think about him, it doesn't involve a long, drawn-out process of preliminary ritual. You don't have to light a candle. You don't have to remove your shoes. You don't have to wash your hands with special water. Just talk to him. Riding down the road, talk to him. Stressful moment with the kids, talk to him. If you're feeling, feeling low, out of nowhere, talk to him. Are you worried? Talk to him. Whatever you've got, wherever you're at, bring it to Jesus. Bring it to him. As, as an old British pastor put it back in the 17th century, the more I know him, the more I like him. The more I know him, the more I love him. The more I know him, the more I desire him. The more I know him, the, the more my heart is knit unto him. His beauty is taking. His, his love is ravishing. His goodness is drawing. His manifest, manifestations are enticing. And his person is enamoring. His lovely looks please me. His pleasant voice delights me. His precious spirit comforts me. His holy word rules me. And these things make Christ to be a heaven unto me even here on this earth. While he is seated there and we are doing whatever it is that we're doing here, let us walk closer with Jesus. And then the last thing, Jesus is our ascended high priest. Jesus is the ascended man and that means one, walk closer with him. And then two, go tell it on the mountain. Go tell it on the mountain. This is, this is where we don't want to just know more of Jesus for ourselves, but we want others to know more of him and to have more of him through us. And so go tell of him. Commend him. We commend him. We talk to Jesus like he's real, and we talk of him like he's real. And here's one simple way to do that this season. Say Merry Christmas to as many people as you can. We got 12 days. 12 days, still got 12 days. So all throughout Christmas time, all throughout January 6th, tell as many people as you can 
Merry Christmas. And when they say, ah, bong bug, you know, Christmas is over, you can say, not at all. Christmas has just begun because if we know what Christmas is all about, the fact that Jesus is God become man to save us, if we know what Christmas is all about, it's Christmas yesterday, today, and forever.